Hi, I'm Anastasia Busas. I am a two-time Olympic speed skater. My whole life I have been surrounded by athletes, and every one of them has a story that a scoreboard will never capture. It's not an easy thing to be with an athlete. They don't understand why they're making fun of me because I like to figure skate. Player's own voice is all about the person inside the performance. When you're so in it, I think perhaps we're the people that understand it the least. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Harv, we've talked about work a bit on this show. Do you get inappropriate questions about your job? You know what I do. Yes. I'm a project manager. <laughs> what possible inappropriate question they can ask? <laughs> uh, did I put the right schedule? Did you manage that project? <laughs> so, no, there are no possible inappropriate questions about my profession, but I know exactly where you're going. Uh, this episode is about sex workers. Yeah, the team and I were interested in doing an episode about sex work. And in our research and talking to some sex workers, the question that came up a lot as an inappropriate question, they get asked is, what was your worst experience? Alena, this is the first episode I'm a little bit nervous about. Oh, yeah? This is the oldest profession. Mm. This is also the most stigmatized profession. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping I don't say anything that will offend our guest. I gotta be honest, I, I'm feeling the same way. I'm really interested in this topic, but I, I definitely don't want to offend anyone either. I think so much of what any of us know about sex work is from what we watch or what we read. And I'm pretty sure those things are probably misinformed quite a bit. We'll find out. Yeah. I'm hoping in this episode, we are able to bust some myths and also to understand more about this profession. Let's do it. The bad aspects of sex work is not something that sex workers should have to tell people and have to share with people. A lot of times it's asked out of sympathy or compassion. He may feel that he's entitled to my time, my body, and my soul, so he can ask me any question that he wants. Before we get started, just a heads up that we talk about topics like sexual assault and abuse this episode. There's also a bit of explicit language. Andrea Wehrhun is a performer, sex worker, and author of the memoir Modern Whore. She's also a peer outreach worker at Maggie's Toronto Sex Workers Action Project. So, Andrea, let's start with the basics. How would you define sex work? Ooh, sex work is a very um, broad umbrella of jobs in which some form of sexuality is traded for money. Mm -hmm. That's the short answer. And then within that uh, broad definition, there is all sorts of different types of jobs uh, that range from indoor to outdoor, mm. uh, in person to online and not in person. Um, there's a very wide variety of jobs one could do uh, within the sex industry. Mm -hmm. And within that, you've had a couple jobs yourself. Do you want to tell us briefly about your career and your journey through sex work? Yeah, for sure. So I started uh, as an escort in my uh, last year of university. Um, I did that for two years. 
um, until my mom asked me to quit and I signed an agreement with her saying I would. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> Very official from mom. Like, she got the paperwork out and everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The day that I graduated university, she's like, okay, so uh, when are you going to quit that job of yours? You know? So she was she was aware of your job. I told both my parents six months into uh, doing the work because I'd always been very open and honest with my parents about everything that I'd done. And I, I felt no shame about the work that I was doing. Of course, I am fully aware of the stigma and the taboo and and that it's probably, you know, one of the worst things a parent can hear. Mm-hmm. Um but I I just wanted to be open with them and honest about what I was doing and how I was making so much more money than I was, you know, doing any other kind of work. <laughs> um, why I was suddenly dressing so well. Um, so then I, I, after the two years working as an escort, I, I quit and uh, I took a few years off and did a wide variety of jobs, including farming. And oh. um, I worked as a, you know, an assistant to a TV and film agent. I worked as a bike courier. Um, and then after like getting almost doored like 10 times, oh, God. <laughs> no. I was like, oh. I wonder what's more dangerous, uh, working as a bike courier or as a stripper? Cause I think that's where I'm ready to go. <laughs> so, um, at 27 years old, I, I started stripping and, uh, I worked there for three years until the club closed down for the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, during this, a uh, year and a half of of the pandemic, I've been dabbling in some online sex work. So that's basically my my sex work history over the last ten years. Mm. Uh, Andrea, do you mind sharing a story with us when you were asked this question? What was your worst experience? <laughs> oh, let me pick one. How how do I do it? Um, well, okay. <laughs> how about the time I was giving a guy a lap dance? I was in the middle of the lap dance him and he's like so uh, what's the worst thing that's ever happened to you here wow and I, i'm on his lap like i'm getting <laughs> naked i'm 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 performing this very erotic dance for him and so i i turn around and i look him in the eyes and i say rape like what do you think what what do you, what, what kind of answer are you looking for here pal and then he says oh, uh well it's it's not rape if you pay for it hmm. And then he puts his hands over his mouth and he's like, oh my God, I can't believe I just said that. I can't, I, I, I'm so sorry. And I was like, you know what? It's fine. Mm. I'm sure lots of people believe the same thing. Mm. You are revealing a prejudice. You felt so comfortable. <laughs> First of all, asking me that question and then declaring that thing that seemed to come out of like a, a bat out of hell out of your unconscious. It's true that a lot of people do believe that sex workers are ripe for the raping. Why? It's it's a criminalized business. If it happens, it happens. We're not going to tell the police. We don't have a good relationship with the cops. If we go to the cops, we're bound to get arrested ourselves. So he uh, he just handed me a bunch of $20 bills and left. Mm-hmm. So that's just Damn. one story. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. When you know, someone like that client asks that question. Do you think they're expecting, you know, a really traumatic, difficult answer? Are they ready for that kind of answer? Or like, where are they coming from, do you think? You know, they couch it as a sort of uh, playful, innocent curiosity. Huh. Mm -hmm. Especially in a client context. When a client asks that question, perhaps he's, uh, you know, he's paying 
for our time, right? Right. He may feel that he's entitled to my time, my body, and my soul. So he can ask me any question that he wants, Hmm. which is so incredibly inappropriate. (laughs) There's something about entitlement there, about people just feeling like our existence is a joke. You know, dead hooker jokes are very common, you know? Mm -hmm. You wouldn't ask any other type of professional person that question. Yeah. Unless you pathologized their work, unless you thought that their work was some continuation of a previous bad experience. Mm. So people kind of connect the fact that someone's doing sex work to the idea that they've had a bad experience in their life and this is a continuation of that? Yeah. I mean, to to give another example, I had a guy, I was with him and his friend and we were having a good time. And then all of a sudden he's like, like, what happened in your childhood to bring you here? Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. I was like, what? (laughs) What an incredibly inappropriate question to ask. And he's like, he says, well, women don't just become strippers. Mm. I'm like, man, I thought we were having a good time here. All right. I stopped paying attention to him and I started just talking to his friend because his friend is obviously way cooler. (laughs) When I looked back at this man, the blood had drained from his face and he was super pale. And he's like, you know what? Let's, Let's go to the VIP. Mm -hmm. And I was like, really? You want to give me money? All right, sure. That'll make up for this. So I go upstairs with him and he's like, he gives me $200 and he says, I don't want to dance. I want to say that I'm sorry. Um, Mm -hmm. And the only reason I asked you that question was because I had been sexually abused as a child and I wanted to know if you had too. Mm -hmm. And sometimes... That's why they ask the question, because they think that you're similar, you've had a similar trauma, and they want to know that they can connect with you on some very deep level. Mm. And, you know, while I can sympathize with someone like that and, and mm-hmm. okay, that's cool. I'm not a trauma specialist. I'm not a counselor. I'm not trained. I'm at work. I have to shake my ass for money for the rest of the night. And now I get to carry both of our traumas. Mm. Eventually, don't you get numb to these stupid questions? Let's put it that way. No, it's it makes me mad every single time. Mm-hmm. It makes me mad every single time. And I get upset about it. And I'm I'm always like real with these people because, you know, I, there's no there's no uh, gentle way to put rape. Mm. And then I, I had another guy who I told him rape and his response was, no, that doesn't happen here. And then I got to sit there and like, what, convince him that it happened? And then by the end of it, I was like, all right, so do you want to go upstairs with the VIP now? (laughs) He said, no, I'm disgusted. And then I'm like, why did you ask? What did you expect? Hmm. And he said, you just didn't look like the type to get raped. Wow. (laughs) Okay, dude. That's a lot to unpack there. And, you know, when people talk about the trauma of sex work, that's a big part of the trauma of sex work is fielding questions like that mm-hmm. and 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 being asked to continuously relive my trauma for people's entertainment and not even for money. No, that's trauma. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You've mentioned trauma. So would you say there was trauma involved in your work? I will say that the, most of the trauma involved in sex work is not necessarily what happens it's the way that we can't tell anybody about it. 
Right. So you can't share your highs and lows with people. You can't tell the cops if something bad happens to you. You can't expect any justice if something happens to you. And it's the way that other people treat you when they find out you're a sex worker. The trauma of being a sex worker is being outed as a sex worker and then being prevented from holding any other type of position in your life and being barred from opportunities. Mm -hmm. The trauma is having your children taken away when you're exposed as being a sex worker. The trauma is having your housing taken away when your landlord finds out you're a sex worker. So is there trauma Is the trauma within the work itself or is the trauma outside of sex work? Mm. That's a very, very good answer. Very, very, I mean, Yeah, I didn't know all those things could happen. Exactly. That's awful. And uh, Andrea, I think I have a follow-up question on that uh, about how dangerous is the life uh, of a sex worker? It depends, I think, where you're situated on, on what we call in the biz the hierarchy. So that's the class hierarchy within the sex industry. You know, like I was saying before, there's indoor, there's outdoor work. Sorry, you have to explain a little bit more. What is inside, what is outside? Sure. So uh, people who work on the street, Mm. people who uh, negotiate their services and their rates in a car, essentially, or they go to somebody's house or they go to their hotel, but they're doing outdoor sex work. Mm-hmm. Um, indoor sex work like escorting or stripping, which is what I've done. Uh, you know, you're working inside a, a building, uh, whether it's a hotel, whether it's uh, a strip club. All of these different distinctions within sex work have an impact on the class and the social status of that sex worker. And of mm-hmm. course, everything that uh, impacts class outside of sex work, like race, education, uh, gender identity, orientation, you know, whether you come from money, whether you can charge a lot of money, all of these things play a big role in how vulnerable someone is to violence. Mm -hmm. And so the high class white escort who's charging 500 to a thousand dollars an hour that person is a lot less likely to experience violence than the indigenous or black trans outdoor sex worker who's who also uses drugs, is precariously housed or perhaps homeless. That person on the street is so much more likely to experience violence, whether it's a client or whether it's the cops. Yeah. You know, the cops have been known to attack sex workers and... <laughs> awful that's it's absolutely heartbreaking so is sex work violent (laughs) depends who you're asking (laughs) it depends Mm. where someone is situated on that hierarchy for me personally having worked indoors as a a white cisgendered woman who caters to a a male clientele i've experienced some sexual assault um certainly not impervious to it uh but i would say that on the whole my experience has been overwhelmingly positive mm-hmm. it's funny because even in like everywhere it is the class that eventually comes into the picture right oh totally yeah a- a- andrea let me uh, let me share something with you uh, i come from uh, india yeah and uh, in india there are uh, not a whole lot but quite a few movies made on uh, sex work and in each and every movie, the sex worker becomes sex worker because of some family needs or, you know, all that uh, reasons which you have 
some some of the reasons you have outlined. Yeah. So if you talk to anybody from that culture, there would be a hundred percent assumption. I'm 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 sitting here that uh, people have gone to this field for some reasons which are beyond their control. Yes. So I would like to talk about it a little bit more from your perspective of how this work is perceived in Canada. Mm. I will say it's not an unfair assumption that some circumstance has uh, forced the sex worker into her position. Um, we live in a capitalist society we'll, where we all need to work to survive. We all need money to survive in this society or we fall through the cracks and we become homeless. <laughs> uh, we're already forced, every single one of us by circumstance, to work and to make a living in order to survive. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then then you consider your uh, your range of options. The thing about sex work is that it's very well-paying. You can make a lot of money on your own terms as far as being able to pick your own schedule. Mm. Okay, so it's flexible, well-paying. And on top of that, it's often quite enjoyable Mm -hmm. if you like the work. Okay, it's not everybody likes the work, but they like the money. Okay, and that's perfectly fine. That's a, a very valid reason to do any job. You do it for the money. And that is not unique to sex work. For the people that choose sex work or settle with sex work... It's because they know they can make more money doing sex work than they can make doing other types of work. Mm. That's a very human choice to make. We don't need to pathologize sex workers for uh, taking their clothes off for money. There's, that's, that's not necessary. It's not helpful. It's, it, it, it totally removes the labor aspect to this, which is at the end of the day, sex workers work for money. Mm-hmm. Case closed. Mm. So Mr. Harper brought in a law which is still on the books, where sex work is illegal, but paying for sex is illegal, if I understand it correctly, the law correctly, which kind of makes no sense. And also, when you start making things illegal, things don't go away. They just go underground, which makes it unsafe for everybody. Mm. I, I would like your thoughts on this. I absolutely agree with you there. As a sex worker advocate, I believe in the decriminalization model. We can look to New Zealand, which has had sex work decriminalized for the last, I believe, 20 years now. Wow. So there's absolute ample evidence that it is the safest way for sex workers to um, engage in their labor uh, respectfully and uh, safely. Mm -hmm. For instance, a woman who worked in a brothel was experiencing sexual harassment in the workplace from her boss. Mm -hmm. So she took him to court. Nice, 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 nice. And she won. Mm. Okay, That's what we're talking about. (laughs) I used to think that rape was an occupational hazard for sex workers. And I now believe... that uh, rape shouldn't happen to anybody. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Shocking idea. Uh, (laughs) No one, no one should be raped, period. Okay, no one deserves to get raped. We should not create the conditions that make rape easier, okay? And that's what criminalization does. It makes it easier for people to uh, be violent against this group of people uh, by virtue of their occupation. And that's deeply 
wrong. It's very troubling. It's wrong. Yeah. I've heard about the argument between decriminalization and legalization of sex work. What are the differences there and what do you advocate for yourself? I will say that there is a pretty big difference between legalization and decriminalization. And we advocate for decriminalization because legalization means regulation and it means the state regulating the industry, um, which means that there will continue to be rules, criminal rules about where someone can do sex work, Mm -hmm. uh, who, who can do sex work. You have to put your name into a database. You need to have ID. You need to like all of these things create a black market. Mm. So even if you do regulate it, you're still going to create conditions that make it taboo and and, uh, make it go underground. And so that's why we advocate for decriminalization, because we do not believe that the exchange should be a crime. Right. Fair enough. Makes sense. Andrea, to close out, asking a sex worker about their worst experience Is that an inappropriate question? Yes. (laughs) I would say it is an inappropriate question. And it the person who wants to ask the question, I think if they've got it on the tip of their tongue, they have to understand that what they're asking the sex worker to provide is trauma porn for their entertainment. Mm. And if they want to be that kind of person, that's fine. You know, that sex worker is probably going to get really uncomfortable and she's either going to speak her mind or she's going to bite her tongue, depending on the situation. Mm -hmm. But know that it is kind of a dirtbag thing to ask. (laughs) Dirtbag questions, new name of the podcast. Love that (laughs) for us. (laughs) So let's flip it. Is there an appropriate question that you would rather be asked? I would love if they asked, what's the best thing that's happened to you in sex work? Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, so maybe can I ask you that now? Like, what have been the best parts of your job? (laughs) I mean, especially working as a stripper for the last three years, but also having published a sex work memoir called Modern Whore. um, I've been able to meet so many sex workers all across North America, at least, and I hope to meet more around the world. Being part of this community is like the best thing I think about being a sex worker. It's the sex workers are the most badass people that I know. They're funny as hell. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're strong. They've got really tough boundaries. You cannot like, it's just sex workers are just the absolute best human beings. They're kind, they're compassionate, Mm. and they're just always the most fun at parties. Nice. So (laughs) that's been my favorite part of sex work is really just getting to know other sex workers. Mm. Um, And of course, making enough money to survive uh, in Toronto and while oh being God. able to pursue my creative interests because that's a privilege. Mm-hmm. We stand survival. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we stand survival. He smashed pretty much every billboard and streaming record that matters. It has already been streamed more than a billion times. Billion. People still to this day point to, this is the moment everything changed. But whether you agree with those claims or not, this podcast isn't really about him. Either you're not an astute businessman or you're inherently racist when it comes to black music in this country. This is not a Drake podcast. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. Sex workers not only get these questions asked from their clients, 
but from their friends and family as well. Here's a voice note. My name is Vixen Temple. I am a New Zealand-based sex worker. I'm a stripper, sugar baby, performance artist, writer, and I have a podcast where I talk about sex worker issues and I hope to elevate sex workers' voices. When I first started getting asked about my worst experiences back when I first entered the industry, I always felt like I had to tell people. You know, I'm, I'd go to a party and people are saying what their jobs are and I say, oh, I'm a stripper and everyone's, Oh my God, what's like the worst experience you've ever had? Oh my God, you must deal with such creepy customers. And it's just like, you're asking us to relive trauma. You're asking us to recall sexual assaults, stalking, harassment, rape, police brutality, being ostracized from our family, from our communities, uh, from our friends, from our loved ones. The, the bad aspects of sex work is not something that sex workers should ha have to tell people and have to share with people, but people feel always feel so entitled to know our trauma and it's exhausting. So these days, if people ask me what my worst experience is, I just say, oh, well, I took the guy to court. So are you sure you want to know? And it makes them feel really awkward. Oh, oh, that's really serious. Like, yeah, it's, it's fucking serious. I had to take someone to court. So that's what I say now. And it just it instantly shuts the person up. Since starting my blog, I've tried to paint the more positive side of sex work purely for the reason being that the media is always painting the negative and they always want to talk about the, the exploitation and the sexual assaults and the trauma because again it sells and when you make those traumas of sex workers into entertainment, people start to expect that. And then when they are face to face with a sex worker, they think, oh, I've got my own personal sex worker to tell me a story that will entertain me. I suppose I wish that civilians would ask us more about like, what's a good customer experience you've had? I'll tell them. I'll tell them about the time a guy worked an extra shift so that he could send me money for my birthday. You know, I'll tell them about the time a guy booked me for a lap dance. He booked the biggest dance that I'll get the most money for. And he just sat in there and, and talked with me. And so if I'm able to just share the more positive stories and try to humanize us in a positive aspect, I hope that that resonates with people and they'll finally respect that sex workers work just like any other job. I'm speaking with AK Sani. They have a bit of a different perspective on this question. My name's AK Sani. Um, my pronouns are she, her, they, them. I have had about over a decade of experience in the sex work industry as a full-time indoor service provider. Sometimes when clients ask this question, she feels there's certain answers she's expected to give. I was having a session with someone that I would call a good client who I still have a good relationship with him. We were in our session and we we're kind of casually chatting and I don't remember how we got to this point in the conversation, <laughs> but I don't really think that there's any real way to organically get to this point in the conversation. Mm. But then he asked me the question in question, <laughs> which is what's been the worst thing that happened to you? Like nothing bad has ever really happened to you, has it? Oh, I knew that part of the session, part of the sort of the girlfriend experience role play is for me to say, no, nothing particularly bad has ever happened to me. That's part of what he's paying for. 
So I Mm. said no, which is the easier route. And then it's sort of reassuring in the sense that he wants to feel as if he's not participating in the broken and sordid nature of a sex worker's life. Mm. It's a totally different question, but it sort of comes out of sort of the same intention. I often get asked uh, by clients, so what's your what's your job? What do you do for a living? Huh. Which is incredible. <laughs> I do this. Also, I'm a philanthropist in my job. <laughs> so it's a similar sort of wish or hope or idea in their mind that I'm the exception mm. and and they're not participating in sort of like a seedy underbelly kind of situation. Mm. On the flip side, if you are going to answer yes, which is which is actually totally acceptable. You can say yes, horrible things have happened to me. Then they want to understand it as a contrast to what's happening with them. They want to see themselves as very different than a perpetrator. Mm. So they want to kind of absolve themselves of a kind of guilt that they feel by participating in sex work? Yeah, I think people want to see themselves as separate from systems of violence. And then many of them, even though they are consumers of sex work, they also buy into the negative stereotypes and conceptions of sex work, Mm -hmm. which really tells you, it shows you how powerful it is. So they have firsthand knowledge and understanding, you know, what the real world of sex work looks like, but they can still maintain a conception of sex work that contradicts that. Hmm. On one side, a lot of people and institutions want to stigmatize and debase sex work. And then on the other side, there is the romanticization and the glamorization of, of sex work. And the reality is complicated and squarely down the middle. Hmm. I'm interested in that narrative you kind of brought up of, on one hand, romanticization and on the other hand, stigmatization. Can you tell me a bit more of that and what they look like? Yeah, I mean, the stigmatization, you know, I've been on panels talking about feminism, where like a fellow panelist, often someone that have some respect for right, yeah. is arguing that I'm oppressed. Uh, it's a form of slavery, which does violence to, you know, folks who have actually experienced slavery. Mm-hmm. It's dehumanizing. Um, my relationship with sex work is so complicated, but it does allow me to own my own business and call the shots. I think it's like one of the only, or I think the only industry where women make more than men. Interesting. I wouldn't have thought about that, but I guess it makes a lot of sense. It is empowering, you know, especially as a disabled person and someone who comes from poverty and working class culture. There is this sort of feeling that like folks like me were never meant to make these like big bulk sums of money. And in the case of sex work, a lot of times you're doing stuff that's kind of fun (laughs) if you're lucky you know Mm. 
you know, one thing that I like to share with folks is I really rehabilitated my relationship with my body through sex work. Mm. You know, it's real. It's really nice to spend your work day with people who are super into the way that you look. Mm. <laughs> but it's grimy and unpleasant in ways that people don't want to think about. And they'd mm. rather flock to this question of what's the worst thing that happened to you? <laughs> you know, <laughs> to clarify, and this is something we often ask people, would you call this an inappropriate question? Um, it's fine. You know, like I should just say yes, but <laughs> in many ways I would say it's not an inappropriate question because mm. the reason why it get asked so much, it's not because people are trying to violate me or mm. upset me. They feel like it's like a caring act. Mm. A lot of times it's asked out of sympathy or compassion. A lot of times it's asked as a way of self-educating themselves. They're inappropriate in an interpersonal sense, but the reason why we need to talk about them is because there is an appropriateness mm. that is sort of supporting these questions and these ideas. You know, these people who have this, this genuine interest, is there a way they can express their curiosity in maybe a more appropriate question? I wish that people would stop asking sex work related questions to sex workers. Hmm. You know, if I wanted to talk about it, I would have brought it up. Uh, this is not my first rodeo. <laughs> Those conversations almost never feel satisfying or productive. Right. There are times where Folks will want to, you know, maybe talk about the worst experience that they've had. And a lot of times folks just want to talk about the positive, you know, mm. it's this complicated nature of sex work and the complicated relationship that you have that I'm just kind of like, maybe don't ask questions and just listen. Right. <laughs> That's fair. Best to just keep it cute. <laughs> Perfect. We have one more voice note, also from New Zealand. Seems like the place to be. Yeah, <laughs> please take us, take us to your beautiful country. <laughs> Here's The Stallions, a traveling male review show, with their thoughts on where this question comes from. Hey, my name's Jay. I'm our team captain. I'm Harley. I'm Levi. I'm the sexiest humble guy in this <laughs> I'm Kaya. And I'm Blake, AKA The Lost Shepherd. Being in the industry, you're gonna have bad experiences. Like there was, there's always gonna be times where someone was too drunk or um, too handsy and things like that. And I guess in those situations, you just deal with them as best you can. It's like a taboo subject, right? So they just wanna know more, it's yeah. interesting. Yeah, people are afraid of public judgment, you know? So whenever they get a chance to ask somebody who works in the industry, they go deep in it. And because we are not afraid to express ourselves, we are not afraid to share our experience and they get comfortable because that's what our job is, you know, like make them feel like safe without judgment. There definitely is a huge difference between the way males and females get treated in this industry. It's a lot harder for um, the women for the way they get treated. They get sort of looked down on, whereas we get put more on a pedestal. 
they, they get a lot more opportunities than we do. Um, guys are a lot more willing to hire women um, or, go to, a strip or go to a strip club, spend their money, whereas we, it's very seasonal for us. The challenges, uh, people already have their ideas and thoughts about what we do, and that can be hard with, uh, say, our personal lives, with dating. Um, some of the rewards are amazing. One of them is being in a van with all these amazing guys <laughs> and touring around New Zealand. The, the money's good, um, but obviously we don't all do it for the money because it's fun as hell. On behalf of me and the boys, thank you for listening. Boys, say goodbye. Later. <laughs> Bye, everyone. See you. Ciao. So before this episode, you were feeling a bit nervous. How are you feeling now? Pretty good, actually. Uh, so now I've, I can now say that my nervousness was misplaced. Uh, the discussion went very, very well, and it, it was fun. Yeah, I feel that too. So two myths got bursted for me. One was that all sex workers are not in the business because they were traumatized or they had some sexual assaults or any such type. That was one. Mm -hmm. And the second point, which was a bit of a surprise to me, was that uh, sex workers prefer sex work to be decriminalized and not legalized. Mm -hmm. So uh, th that came to me as a big, big, big surprise. Mm -hmm. A point that stood out to me was how our guests described sex work very much like a normal job where there's highs and lows. And I feel like often because of the way it's portrayed in media and the things we know about it, we think it's only negative and we don't see those good parts. Uh, so, Elena, I am glad we did this episode uh, because that mm. really pushed both of us outside our comfort zone. Yeah, and we learned a lot. Agreed. Yeah. I'm glad we did that too. So uh, we have to raise the bar. <laughs> <laughs> more, more uncomfortable questions. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm Harvinder Radva. And I'm Elena Hudgens-Lyle. Thanks for getting inappropriate with us. Big thanks to our guests, Andrea Werhun and A.K. Sani. You also heard voice notes from Vixen Temple and The Stallions. Jay, Harley, Levi, Kayo, and Blake. Every episode has an accompanying webcomic, and this week it was illustrated by Sarah Cotella. You can find it on Instagram at IQ underscore podcast. Also make sure to visit cbc.ca forward slash IQ podcast for a full transcript of this episode. The curious crew behind this podcast are Sabrina Birch, Cindy Long, and myself. The show is mixed by Andrew Norton. Our Chase producer is Sarah Melton, and our digital producer is Judy Ziegu. Our senior producer is Jeff Turner, and our executive producer is Arif Nurani. An inappropriate question for a project manager is, no one asking you what you do. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.